the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. And I want to welcome you today. With me today for Heart of the City is Preston Bang. He's the Executive Director for Tacoma Pierce County Chaplaincy. And Preston and I have uh, known each other now here for a few weeks and got a chance to, uh, to share with one another. Preston, welcome this morning to Heart of the City. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Uh, it's good to see you again. And, um, you know, as you and I were chatting before we came on the air this morning, uh, I, I was thinking about um, some of the news that's been out just recently about some of the events that have taken place, whether it was the London terrorist attack or whether it's um, events that have happened uh, out on the East Coast with uh, with certain clubs where there were shootings and that sort of thing. And I, and I got to thinking about the first responders and the people who have to go into those situations and how tough it must be to see the carnage, to experience the stress and the tension, to be working with loved ones and all of the things that are attendant with those kinds of situations. These are stressful times, aren't they, as far as first responders are concerned? Absolutely. Very stressful times, and we're seeing it not only in the headlines, but um, in the firehouse, in the police precincts, um, at social events. Uh, You can see it on officers, firefighters' faces. You hear it uh, in the comments that their loved ones make. Um, There's a lot going on uh, in 2017. Yeah. My brother was a police officer for five years back in the late 70s and early 80s, and the thing that was the stressful part for him and his marriage and actually why he got out was, uh, first of all, the pay wasn't a lot, but then just the stress on the family as far as not knowing whether you were going to come home from work that night and just, you know, that fear. And that, and that was a, you know, a small town in the Midwest. So things have gotten a lot even more of a challenge, especially in large urban areas. Well, really everywhere, isn't it? It isn't just in, in large areas. It's wherever uh, these it, kinds of things can happen. That is true. We're seeing and we're hearing about more spouses that are going to their loved ones, to their first responders' uh, uh, loved ones, and saying, would you just please quit? Would you sell hardware? Or would you... Would you work down at Parks and Recreation because we don't want you on the street anymore? We're afraid that you won't come home. And they're seeing it more in the headlines. They're seeing it in the media. Uh, and it's um, uh, whether it's a small hometown environment, a small uh, community with a small department, or in large metropolitan areas, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the chaplaincy later on in the program, but I'd just love to hear your story. Part of Heart of the City is for pastors and ministry leaders in the area just to share how they came to faith 
And uh, so I want to hear that from you, uh, uh, Preston, and, and what's, uh, how, you, how you came to know the Lord. You were a firefighter here in Seattle for how many years? For 31 years. 31 years. And so you saw a lot happen in those 31 years, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you grow up in this area? Well, Chuck, I actually grew up in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my father uh, was a World War II veteran. When he got back from the Pacific, uh, we, his family settled in the Los Angeles area where I was born. Um, uh, having to come to faith, uh, uh, watching my dad uh, never uh, uh, be able to work again after the war because of his physical and emotional situation, um, very stressed out, uh, very anxious, a very angry man. Hmm. And uh, uh, my mother had to work. Uh, full-time. My dad did not work. Uh, He sat at home, displayed his anger uh, physically, verbally, and that's the environment that I grew up in. Uh, When I was about nine years old, nine or ten years old, uh, my aunt uh, took me to church camp, and I listened to the youth speaker talk about God the Father, and I thought to myself, well, uh, this is, uh, this God the Father is uh, a lot sounds a lot better than my earthly father. He tried to love uh, as best he could, uh, given the circumstances, but it just, uh, it, was, uh, it was a hard environment. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the end of the week at church camp, uh, I trusted Jesus. I trusted God as my heavenly father, and uh, b- that began my relationship with, uh, with God, with our Lord. Nine years old. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I look back at it now, and I think, gosh, how can a nine-year-old uh, have the ability to trust to trust God to place uh, place my life in His hands, but I think it was out of desperation mm-hmm. that I that I turned to Him. Yeah, yeah. So in your in your teenage years, then did that did that faith grow? Was there a a, a, a relationship there with the Lord that, that there was growth? Great question. Typical teen. Yeah, um, right. I had all the teen emotions, all the teen hormones, uh, all the teen challenges. Um, uh, at some, at one point, I was very defiant at home, and uh, didn't want to come under anybody's authority. And I look back at it now, and I thought how ridiculous that was. But of course, that's being a teen. And of course, uh, this was the 1960s, late 60s, uh, early 70s yes. in Los Angeles. And so there was a lot going on at that time. The hippie movement, the, you know, just the rebellion of, of, of teenagers. There was a lot happening in, in that time as well, wasn't there? Absolutely. And that was also the time of the Jesus movement. Yes. Uh, I was very involved in the Jesus movement. Of course, we didn't call it the Jesus movement at the time. Uh, some very influential churches uh, had popped up. Uh, Chuck Smith's mm-hmm. uh, Calvary Chapel. Uh, we met there um, before they even built a building in a circus tent. Um, we, uh, the faith that we had was very emotional, uh, very feeling-based. We all carried our big Bibles around, uh, but none of us ever read that Bible. Mm. But we went on feeling only. So my faith grew, but it grew in a very emotional way. I see. Yeah, yeah. So then how did you become interested in becoming a firefighter? Well, I think uh, looking back on it now, it's almost uh, makes me giggle when I see, uh, I saw at the time a lot of my friends becoming doctors and lawyers and uh, white-collar uh, workers. And I, 
I knew right away that uh, I had a lack of uh, skill in the sciences and math. Um, and I thought, well, I, I tried uh, a lot of things. I was an art major. Uh, I pumped gas. I worked at United Parcel Service. I worked at a grocery store. I did a whole lot. I drove a truck. And one day uh, I had uh, been told that the fire department was hiring, and I thought, wow, what, what a great way to serve the community. What a great way to stay active, uh, to, to not work in a cubicle making widgets, uh, to be out there doing something exciting and, and helping citizens uh, that needed assistance. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, well, give it a shot. And it's something that I didn't uh, think about doing since I was a kid, like a lot of people. Uh, I always wanted to be a firefighter ever since I was a kid, but that wasn't me. But once I joined up, uh, I knew right away that that would be my chosen profession because it enveloped me. It was something I was very passionate about. Had, by then, had you moved up here to the Seattle area, or was this still in the Southern California Well, area? thank you. Thanks for asking that. I started out, uh, I worked uh, a year in my hometown of Gardena, California, mm -hmm. as a firefighter. And when I moved to Seattle, the Seattle Fire Department was hiring, so I joined up with Seattle Fire. And what year was that? That was 1980. Um, with Los Angeles, and then 1982 with Seattle Fire. Mm -hmm. So what's it like being a firefighter? I mean, that, that sounds like a silly question, but, but is, it, uh, is there excitement every day, or is there a routine like every other job? Is it, uh, uh, what's the mindset when you go to work in the morning when you're a firefighter? When I joined up, the majority of the runs were fire-related, and there was very few uh, medical uh, calls. Today, in 2017, 80% of what the firefighters do across the country is emergency medicine. When I joined up uh, early on, uh, we would go out at my particular station maybe uh, six times a day. On a busy day, maybe eight times a day. There is an aid car in downtown Seattle today, aid car number two in Belltown, and they are averaging between 25, 30, 35 runs a day. Mm. Things uh, are very, very busy in the city. 911 is being used more than it now that it has ever been. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's exciting. Uh, there are moments of, of sheer excitement and activity and stress and trauma of the job, and there are times when uh, firefighters are called upon to do training, to maintain their equipment, to do public relations, to do inspecting. Uh, so there are also downtimes. We eat our meals at the station. Um, you know, the shift is 24 hours, so there is downtime time, but in the city of Seattle, those downtimes are few and far between because things are very, very busy. Yeah. So how did, how did you uh, develop as a person being a firefighter? I mean, internally, were you, uh, uh, you know, did you have the same tendencies as your dad did back in those days? Did, was, it, was, your, was your walk with the Lord growing uh, during those uh, years uh, growing in as being a firefighter? It's a challenge. Men and women of faith are always challenged uh, as first responders because as a first responder, you have the heart of a savior. You have this, the savior complex. 
you have the heart of serving the public in doing things that other people cannot do. You have a sense of justice, which is very black and white. This is the way the world should be. Uh, there's that sense of if I'm not helping this person, they're not going to get the help that they need. So it's a very unique personality. Um, and it's a good personality. It's what motivates. As a man of faith, uh, I had to uh, endure things that I thought were absolutely wrong. Uh, the injustice of, of certain situations that we would see. There were times when uh, I couldn't put out the fire fast enough. There were times when I could not save a life like I wanted to. And, and it really challenges your, your ethic, your, um, uh, your morals, your, your code of life when you say, well, I couldn't do it. And now you say, well, who's in charge? God, if you're in charge, why are these bad things happening? Hmm. If you're in charge, why aren't you using me? If you're in charge, why did that child die? And so you wrestle with that almost daily because you do see things that are very, very unfair, very random. If you don't believe that God has a plan and a purpose, things can be very random. And those are the emotions that are very taxing on first responders. Yeah. So as a first responder, then, how would you deal with that in, in, when, you, when you talk to the Lord? What 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 did you say to him when you saw a, a, an act of violence or uh, a, someone pat, dying in an accident or that sort of thing, and you had to go home and deal with that uh, after hours? What what did you say to him? What what was the conversation like? You know, from men of faith, uh, men and women of faith who are first responders, it's almost mandatory where you say at the beginning of the day, say, Lord, this is this is your day. This is your department. These are your fire trucks. These are your police cars. Uh, these, this department is yours, and I'm your servant. Allow me to do what I do best, but it's your, it's your plan. And to be able to fall back on that. There are things that, that I don't understand, Lord. Help me to understand, but if I can't understand and I can't even accept, allow me to trust you. I have to trust you more than I trust myself. I have to trust you more than I, that I trust the department um, or the city itself because those agencies will let me down, but you will never let me down. Mm-hmm. Firefighters and cops, uh, they need strong support systems at home and even independently of the home where oftentimes I'll say to my family, I rely on you uh, to, to keep me whole. I rely on you for my, my health and welfare, but... Oftentimes they can't. You know, your family can let you down. Mm-hmm. And to have support systems, to have um, uh, groups to where you're, you're able to meet uh, informally for coffee, maybe after shift, maybe after a tough call, uh, those things are always important, uh, fellowship time. And also uh, if things don't really work out the way that you want them to and they're lingering, uh, thoughts, doubts, um, your anxiety level goes up, your anger level goes up. Uh, there are times when you you have to seek professional help, and in the past, and I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Seattle Fire Department has had a wonderful support system, both informally and formally, that I've taken advantage of. And there are times when I've had to seek outside help also to help uh, give me perspective. Wonderful uh, counselors, both on the faith side and on the non-faith side, mm-hmm. also. So there are ways to cope, and you can't do it by yourself. So how did you uh, get interested in the, the chaplaincy side uh, of, of uh, being a firefighter? Were you, uh, 
how does someone um, how does some how does a chaplain work with a fire department? That's a great question. Number one, I always tell people I'm not a chaplain. Uh, I support the chaplaincy. Uh, years ago, the fire chief came to me and said, "Preston, you're a man of faith, and we know that you're a great worker. And would you work with our chaplaincy program? Would you be their liaison officer?" I said, "Sure, I would." And I got to meet our chaplains, our wonderful fire chaplains, and to support them, I, I was the chaplain liaison officer for 15 years. So the go between between the chaplain and the department. Uh, in terms of training, in terms of equipment, uh, logistics, um, uh, planning events, and things like that. We, uh, uh, police and fire, law enforcement, and fire agencies, for the most part uh, across the country, have a chaplain. Because it's important, there are two reasons why a firefighter and a cop have to leave the scene after they've done their job. Number one is they have to go back and service to help other people, and number two is they can't be there. They emotionally and spiritually cannot be at that scene any longer because it um, oftentimes it hits very close to home. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the death of a child, um, uh, many many officers and firefighters can relate to that because they have the exact uh, they have the, a child at home with the exact same age, and they become emotionally involved. They have to leave, so we bring the chaplain in. The chaplain comes in to help the family. To work with, um, to work with them, to get them what they need to get through that day. To work with the funeral home, uh, the medical examiner, um, other other uh, agencies that assist to meet with family members and friends to debrief. So a chaplain does a, a tremendous job. Are most chaplains paid positions? They are not. Most chaplains that we work with. Um, are volunteers. Interesting. So like, the, for example, the city of Seattle, you have firefighters and you have police officers, but the chaplains that are assisting them, if you will, are, it's, are they considered a city position or is, are they kind of an ancillary auxiliary of the fire department or the police department? Well, that's a real tricky um, situation because, uh, you know, there's that separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes chaplains are identified very closely as men and women of faith. So it is, um, there is that separation. So a city or an, uh, an agency cannot um, uh, embrace that and, and cause that to be a, a full-time or a part-time employee. However, there are departments who are very smart and they get funding for a crisis intervention specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do the chaplaincy duties. They are men and women of faith, but their title is crisis intervention specialist, and they are able to be, at that point, uh, there is funding mm-hmm. uh, on occasion for those positions. Yeah. You and I were speaking about this before, and you were ta- and we were talking about, as as evangelical Christians, you know, there is that that uh, faith in Jesus, there's that understanding of Jesus, but in the position that you're in as a chaplain, uh, because of that separation of church and state, and also just out of respect for for the people that you're doing a ride-along with, there's just that er- that time where you said it's just being present with that person. You may not be able to share um, doctrinal issues or or even, uh, you know, things of the Lord necessarily, but because you are a presence there with them, you're sharing the love of God with that person, aren't you? 
That's a great point, Chuck. That's one of the things that we uh, emphasize very heavily at the Chaplain's Academy is the ministry of presence. Hmm. Uh, today, uh, chaplains walk into a situation uh, in a home where uh, they've lost a loved one or even to a, a fire station or a precinct. Rarely do they walk in and discuss anything theological. Rarely do they discuss anything faith-based. Uh, it's, it's that relationship that's important. Uh, people, we've been to uh, homes where people have had tremendous faith background, uh, retired pastors, uh, missionaries, and these are angry people. Hmm. These are people who don't really care to hear about God at that particular moment because they've just lost their loved one in a, in a very, very bad way very traumatic way. So oftentimes, uh, there is no discussion of God. On occasion, when somebody says, hey, chaplain, would you read a verse with me? Would you sing a song with me? Would you pray with me? Obviously, the chaplains will do that sure. if they're invited. But the relationship is really important, that ministry of presence. And that is critical, isn't it? Because a lot of times, there isn't much you can say except be present, just to be uh, with with the spiritual walk and with the with the presence of the Lord, if you will, in your heart, that that um, that peace that passes all understanding, that keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, can can affect the atmosphere in a in a crisis situation when even you're not verbally speaking it, but yet that presence is still there, isn't it? No, thank you for for mentioning that. We used to believe that chaplains would bring the presence of God, uh, would bring His Spirit into a a really rough situation, but but that's bad theology because God's there. Mm-hmm. God's spirit is there, it precedes the chaplain, and the, what the chaplain does is it it, it brings the fragrance mm. of, of Christ, uh, brings uh, oftentimes uh, the words that um, need to be said or the presence that needs to be brought. Uh, uh, there was an occasion where uh, a very very faithful woman had lost her husband. And uh, when the chaplain showed up, she uh, looked at the chaplain and says, I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to talk to you. And the chaplain went back to his car and sat and prayed for a bit and came back a second time. And she looked at him and says, I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to talk to you. Went back to his car a third time, sat and prayed a bit. And then by then, family members and friends were showing up. And he went back in and one last time said, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, no, you need to leave. Get out of here now. A few months later, uh, that chaplain was at the grocery store and saw the woman, uh, the widow, with a girlfriend, and he ducked down an aisle to get out of the way, uh, <laughs> but she pursued him and said, chaplain, 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 and she rushed over with her girlfriend and introduced him and said, this is chaplain Bob who showed up uh, when my husband died, and I could not have made it through the day without his presence, and he said to himself, me? I didn't do a thing. <laughs> yeah. But that was, he brought the presence of the Spirit there mm-hmm. and brought comfort uh, to this woman, by, and he said nothing to her. Yeah. Well, we've got two minutes left, so I want to touch briefly on what the, what do you do now with the with the uh, Tacoma Pierce County chaplaincy? What's uh, what's happening now, and how can people pray for the chaplains that are currently in the organization? Thank you, Chuck. We uh, currently, I, uh, Tacoma Pierce County Chaplaincy oversees 40 chaplains in the Tacoma Pierce County area. So we're in the 253. We serve uh, 30 uh, police and fire agencies. 
please pray for these individuals. Uh, uh, 36 out of the 40 are not paid. They're volunteers. Uh, they get up in the middle of the night to deal with very, very uh, tough and trying times for these families. They also minister to the officers who go to very, very tough things. And the stress is building. And uh, like we mentioned before, um, it's, it's hard on their families also. Uh, continue to pray for chaplains across the country, police and fire, for our officers, mm-hmm. for our firefighters, for our first responders. Um, uh, go to our, our website, Tacoma Pierce County Chaplaincy, and look us up. And uh, if you uh, want to become involved, uh, let us know, and we would be glad to uh, partner with you. Yeah. Well, it's a very important ministry there to the community and to the police and fire first responders. Well, Preston Bang, I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City, and I pray for God's richest blessing on you and all the first responders that are here in this area. Thank you, my friend. been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.